Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Indracasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. Holidays are right around the corner, people. Remember to go to thetomeshow.com before you go to Amazon or D&D Classics to buy your loved one's presents. Today... We're talking about our recent Tiamat Takedown event, which was a playtest of high-level combat in the new edition of D&D. Links to videos and a podcast of the event itself can be found on thetomeshow.com in the show notes for this episode. Today's panelists played in that test. Panelists, let us know who you are and who you played in the combat test. We'll start with you, Joe Listowski. Uh Hey, I'm Joe Listowski. I have been playing for longer than I can remember. I uh, write for acsofgeek.com as well. And I played uh, Azagal Broadbeam, the paladin of Bahamut, the dwarven paladin of Bahamut, uh, one part of a family effort uh, that went into this uh, adventure. Uh, was very optimistic going in. Topher Cohen, who are you and what did you play in the Tiamat Takedown? Well, like James said, I'm Topher Cohen. I'm a full-time search marketer, part-time DM. Um, been playing D and D since the original Red Box. I played a dwarf, a mountain dwarf ranger. Thank you, Internet, for picking which class and race. Um, I had an Outlander background and um, took the archery fighting style. And Christopher Dudley, who are you, and who did you play? I am Christopher Dudley, and I occasionally talk as Rule Zero podcast on my own place sometimes. But in this podcast, I played Shikayo, the 20th level elven monk, who was a hermit with a dark secret that could destroy the universe. Uh, Liz Tice, who are you and who did you play? Well, my name is Liz Tice, and I played Umak, the half-orc barbarian. She was fighting Tiamat to avenge her fallen tribe. Uh, For those of you who might know me from uh, my work with Lone Wolf Development, um, I, well, I work there. Yay! (laughs) Excellent. And Mike Shea, who did you play and who are you? I am Mike Shea, and I am Tiamat. (laughs) (laughs) And what a Tiamat you are. I can't tell you. I've been wanting to say that my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty epic. (laughs) Yes, Mike, of course, agreed to DM this event and put in a lot of hard work setting everything up and uh, getting ready to ultimately... Wasn't that hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, then it was pretty sad for us, if that's the case, because uh, Tiamat ripped us a new one. Uh, I played Glandarang Broadbeam, uh, half-brother, of course, to Joe's character, a hill dwarf life cleric of Bahamut. Um, And before we get into the discussion, just a few disclaimers, right? (coughs) This was just one test, um, you know, so you can only get so much data, extrapolate so many things from a single point, uh, which really nothing. I'm sure all the hard scientists out there hearing me say that are like, no, you can't extrapolate anything from a single point. Um, But we're still going to talk about it. And we also wanted to play characters who might be 
organic characters that you had leveled up throughout a career. So these characters were prepared for a battle for Tiamat, but they were not necessarily built for a battle for Tiamat. You know, we didn't get into a lot of crazy multi-class characters and that sort of thing. We wanted to see what it would be like for a party of level 20 adventurers who had sort of grown up adventuring together. What would it be like for them? Um, and, you know, we also wanted to take a lot of characters to that 20th level because we wanted to test out some bigger, high-level abilities and see how <laughs> those things stacked up. Uh, I also wanted to say that for folks that are interested in picking up the Rise of Tiamat Adventure, which has Tiamat stats in the back, uh, which is where we got them from, uh, the setup for that is very different. So if if you run that adventure, you will have a very uh, different experience with Tiamat than we did. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it's a it, th- there's a better chance that you might somehow win that than than what we went through in the less than half an hour or so <laughs> that we had. Yes, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And in addition to that. You know, um, we uh, we messed some stuff up. Uh, there were certainly a few magic item things that um, could have gone differently. Uh, <coughs> Joe's character did not get a turn. My character, Glandarang, should not have gotten a turn either. Um, so we probably would have been taken out much more quickly if that were the case. And we also forgot that Tiamat had regeneration. Uh, so uh, she did, of course, spoiler alert, TPK, kill us all in the end. Um, which I think was an interesting thing to see. Uh, she is a goddess. She is the toughest creature in 5e now. Uh, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about how you wanted to set up the fight? So I wanted to, yeah, I I went back and forth a lot. So I'm still like a jaded 4e DM, uh, who ran a ton of epic, a ton of epic battles and had every one of them, uh, you know, walked over by high level PCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, including Orca, multiple instantiations of Orcas, for example. I love a CR thirty-five version of Orcas got killed in in a and re- yeah one and a, one and a half rounds. <laughs> I looked at her and I kind of looked at the PCs and I was watching you guys. I always kind of figured, like putting myself in the minds of the character, that Tiamat's really smart and she, you know she can read character sheets too. So you know <laughs> it was in character for her to read you guys your, your character sheets. And so I was watching as you were and you kind of deciding what you were what you were choosing and looking at the powers that you had. And there were a few things that kind of I was worried about. And I think I, I talked about them beforehand. I had to a look at what characters had, but then stop myself from putting anything in that would screw up the, you know, the experiment. Um, so I didn't want to have environmental effects that did any weird stuff. I didn't put a bunch of dudes in with her. I didn't alter anything. And I don't think we even really house ruled much other than things like, okay, we're going to openly expose hit points. And then, you know, I wanted to have some kind of story and I love the idea of like, okay. And, and again, this is going to be a spoiler, somewhat of a spoiler alert, although it's kind of on the cover of, you know, rise of Tiamat. Right. But you know, (laughs) and in the name. Yeah, I guess. Right. Oh yeah. So what if she wins? Mm-hmm. Right. What if what if you, you know, like if you think about it from a Dragon Age, if you remember Dragon Age Origins, there's some fun stuff in Dragon Age Origins where if your character doesn't exist in any of the particular storylines, then that storyline goes very differently than if you had been there. So how would the rise of Tiamat storyline go if there weren't any PCs? And the answer is, you know, Tiamat would rise. If we jump 10 years ahead, what does that look like with her on the Sword Coast? So that I thought that was kind of a fun thing to do. And I, and I like the idea of um, Zastan being a quest NPC 
but I wanted to keep the storyline clean so that we could just kind of get into a room and, and see how it went. So I'd say that the most, most preparation. Then the other one, which I recommend to anybody, is if you've got somebody who is a clearly very smart, very tactically oriented uh, player, you know, and you want to know how to kill them, ask them. <laughs> <laughs> and that turns out that works really well. Like, yeah. You know, I think it was the day of, and I was like, so, Joe. If you were Tiamat, what would you do? And he's like, kill me first. <laughs> and that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, let's. why don't we talk about Tiamat, right? Tiamat is tough. We definitely learned that from this playtest. Um, for my money, that's a good thing, right? Uh, I, Mike, you talked a little bit about 4E players walking all over your big epic solos you know i found it was much better in 4e to pack it with a bunch of guys of the same level but but a lot of them rather than a a big solo creature and some minions or something like that um this certainly showed like wow she stood on her own without any sort of you know help from anybody uh and uh, not a a single obelisk in the room not a single you know archmage hanging out in the corner yeah yeah and i thought you know, even without her regeneration, uh, she destroyed us. Um, and, you know, even with me cheating with some of the magic items by accident, uh, you know, again, she still defeated us. And I think that that is a, a good thing in a lot of cases because I think experienced DMs will look at that and say, okay, if I want to have my party fight Tiamat, what is the way that is going to give them something of a fighting chance? You know, um, and obviously that wasn't the purpose of this playtest. The purpose was to see, could it be done? We don't know. The answer is we still don't know, but uh, but it's a lot harder than I think we all thought going in. But I guess my question to everybody else is, what did you guys think of Tiamat? Mike, let's start with you. I thought she ran very well. I was as a as a as a DM. I think that certainly the the super high level um, fifth edition monsters have some pretty harsh BS techniques. Uh, legendary resistance probably being the biggest of those and that's something they tended to shy away from with design of monsters and fori and with a good reason which is you don't want to necessarily you know you don't want to necessarily negate outright things that players have invested in their pcs Mm -hmm. uh in this one they chose yeah we're going to so she's immune to like a ton of stuff and she's resistant to a ton of stuff you know and you said earlier that the characters weren't really designed to fight Tiamat, except, you know, there's not a divine, there's not an arcane caster among you. Sure. And, and one of the reasons why is because there's no point in having an arcane caster fight Tiamat because she's pretty much immune to everything. Right. Um, I, I, I guess I don't mind that, but I don't know what it's like to sit on the other side. So I'd have to ask you guys what you think about that. <laughs> well, uh, let's see. What did you think about that, Liz? I really liked fighting Tiamat, but um, it's, I'll be honest, I didn't want to, I felt like I needed to build um, some character like Umak to, to fight her. Um, the, once I realized that arcane magic wasn't going to do anything, I was like, well, uh, that's <laughs> kind of stupid then to build a character for that. So yeah, I, I think James, you, you said we didn't multi-class to, to get super, um, specific to fighting Tiamat, but I think that did go into what I selected to um, create a character for. Yeah, part of it was also I had never played a barbarian or or a fighter type in fifth edition yet, and I wanted to give it a go. But it did play a part in my character selection. Yeah, and I do think that's true, right? Uh, but I also think that 
when Tiamat flew, uh, the very first thing she did, right, was oh, take yeah. to the air. I think we all <laughs> kind of like, felt crap. like, oh, maybe we should have a wizard who could cast fly on all of us. That might have been a good idea. Yeah, um, I can't believe I forgot dragons fly. This is something that you should remember. I, I think all of us kind of built toward like, okay, we'll, we'll surround Tiamat. We'll get her down on the ground. We'll, we'll, we'll trip her yeah. or something. <laughs> uh, Chris, what did you think of Tiamat overall? Uh, Tiamat was pretty fearsome. Um, I think the, um, was it, did it cost her two of her legendary actions to breathe? Mm-hmm. Yes. So she was gets five legendary actions, right? Uh, five. It's, it's like five points, right? She gets okay. five legendary action points and it costs two points to do a breath weapon and one point to bite. And can she, she can do them on her turn. She can do them at the end of any other character's turn. But but on her, so, her turn, can she choose to breathe? No. At, no. Okay, so she can no. only do the breath on someone else's turn. Well, it, except, turn. remember, she can do it at the end of the person's turn that goes right before she does. Right. So right. it's almost like it's her turn, because she can breathe and then do her holy word or whatever it is, divine divine word. <sighs> yeah. She got to go first. She would definitely eliminate somebody. Well, I, I think that where she landed in the initiative order was better for her than if she had been at the top. Yeah, because she got two breath weapons and then her turn and then two more breath weapons. And she wouldn't oh, have been able true. to get that if she started. She got she got to reset her points halfway through. Mm. Yeah, yeah, which I think made a huge difference on, on that opening right. turn when we were all sort of planning on buffing. Um, mm. You know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. we can't buff because we're dead. Uh, I kind of had the I had the opposite of the Tarask situation, where in the Tarask situation we were in an enclosed space, and I thought this fight would be a lot better for us if we were out in the open. But with Tiamat, there was like a hundred feet of ceiling room, and I was like, this fight would be a lot better if we were really in close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's actually a, a lot about the design of those two monsters. I think that's a big limitation of the of. I mean, the fact that the Tarask and Tiamat are the same CR, I don't think they're even remotely the same. No, and the the only thing that would make them the same is if the Tarask had some kind of crazy donut aura, where if you're outside of his reach, you know you're getting shredded by flying rock or something. Telfer, what did you think of Tiamat? Tiamat's not my friend. <laughs> yeah. Tiamat is nobody's friend. So obviously, I didn't pick my class or my race, right? So we let the the internet pick that. I thought that'd be kind of fun. I wanted to play something that was outside of my comfort zone, and I usually don't play straight on, you know, attackers. I'm usually a, I like to play support characters. So I wanted to play something outside my comfort zone. They gave me that. I wish I would have thought it through for better. And maybe I would have multiclassed one level of barbarian just so I could have raged. The fact that, I mean, I didn't really, when we talk about, you know, oh my God, she's flying. I took, you know, sharpshooter and I took archery specifically the way I did. So it didn't matter. As long as she wasn't over 120 feet in the air, I was golden. I, I didn't shoot a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't really a big deal, but I think you're right, um, James. If we would have had a, you know, had somebody to make us all fly, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> I think this would have been a little bit easier fight. Um, uh, I I agree with everything we've said, and the fact that she's in in the history of D and D the biggest baddest monster there is, and we shouldn't be able to take her down. And if we did, I think that would show that there's a flaw, you know. And I think that the way Mike played her, you know, as much as I may have. Kvetch during the uh, the um the thing. I think Mike played her exactly right. He played her perfectly. She wanted us dead, and she's not going to toy with us. So she's going to do it as fast as possible. And I think the way he played her, he played her perfectly. Joe, uh, I'm very interested to hear what you thought of Tiamat uh, because I know we had some <laughs> exchanges afterwards. Uh, you know where you were talking about uh, sort of the difference between 
her and her her four e version. I get, and this is going to sound bitter because I didn't get a turn, and and it's impossible for me to speak and not sound bitter. <laughs> um, but 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 genuinely, I want you to know this doesn't come from a place of bitterness. This comes from a a, a place of of I guess DM option or or DM variance. I'm kind of bored with Tiamat. Um, in looking at her stats and looking at the things that she can do, all of her breath weapons do damage, and that's it. And mm-hmm. so looking uh, from a DM's point of view attacking a party with her, why would you not use the most damaging one of her five breath weapons as much as you could? Why would you not use the next most damaging one as the second one? It, it seems that you know if, if they had some flavor, if they had some... Uh, you know, the poison one gives you the poison condition or the, the cold one slows you down or the red one lights you on fire or any of those things, there would be a reason to use something other than the redhead all the time. Uh, and, and that made me, as I was getting slaughtered by her, I was like, <laughs> oh, yep, here comes the damage one again. Oh, and here's more damage and here's more damage. There wasn't even anything really fun about the way she was damaging me it was just like and and maybe you're fighting the goddess of dragons and so there oughtn't to be any fun in it it (laughs) should just be you get slaughtered but but that that kind of bugged me a little and and i understand her stats are through the roof so at a certain point when i was building my character i said you know what i could try to get the best the best ac possible but even that's not going to matter because she's at plus what plus 19 to hit yeah uh so even even with my 21 AC, which is pretty darn good in 5th edition D&D, um, she was only missing on uh, a 1. Um, and, and that's, you know, she would have missed on a 1 regardless of what my AC was. So I figured, why bother trying to boost it anymore? Because it, it just, it, it felt like frustrating for me because as a player, I want to feel like a hero. And I didn't really feel like a hero in this fight. I, I felt like kind of a chump. It's the it's the save or die, you know. I failed. I I did poorly on one single roll at the beginning, my initiative right. roll, and right. that ended it for my character. You brought up a great point, which is the same thing I thought of is that my AC was twenty, right, or twenty one, and I didn't care because I figure she's going to hit me. She's going to hit me hard anyways, so that's not my worry. And then I mistakenly or naively thought, well, we're going to burn her down. I mean, I've seen these characters. Hmm. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna get her to a point where she's going to be on the defensive. Pretty quick. Ha! <laughs> Joe brought up a couple of real, a couple of really interesting thoughts. Um, one is about the uh, the dragon breath and the the range of dragon breaths. Yeah, it definitely feels like those could have had a rider on top of them. Again, I'm I'm not I'm not great at running battles like this, and and I wasn't great running fourth edition battles. And a lot of times, I got lost in the stat blocks when I was running it. And just like regen, right? Like this one's not even that complicated. And I still totally forgot one of the major things that she's got because I'm just so into trying to figure everything else out. So it, it you know even with the riders, it had been hard. But one thing is, um, I I actually expected. The reason I figured she might as well start with red was to see who's resistant to fire. Because my expectation is somebody's got to have resistance to fire. And then when it turned out that no one did, I'm like, okay, well, I guess <laughs> I guess we'll keep doing that. So, there, yeah, you're right. There's not a lot of variance in the breath weapons. But the only two pieces of variance are the, um, the size of the blast and the, you know whether it's a line or a cone and uh, what flavor it is to see what kind of resistance it could penetrate. I'll be honest, when um, we were getting ready for this fight with Tiamat, I I got a little um, arrogant, I would say, just because I remembered 
Mike, um, reading reading our uh, emails going back and forth and expressing concern, right? And yeah. he was even saying on Twitter, you know, I'm not sure if she'll make it. My, so I was like, yeah, email. yeah. So I got I got really really confident, which probably <laughs> didn't help, <laughs> right? Because I was expecting us to just you know mop the floor with her, and it obviously did not happen that way. Well, you did the most mopping, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, and I still think if there were if there were five Liz's, I think TNet would have died. Are there I have replayed this over and over and over again in my head. Uh and I think my girlfriend is like, Are you really you're really obsessed with this imaginary battle that you had? Um but uh I, I've listened to it four or five times, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I listened twice. I listened to the them abbreviated. Yeah. Oh good. Okay. Well it's good end. to know I'm not alone. <laughs> Are there things that you think might have made the battle go a little differently outside of, yeah, maybe if we had known our characters a little better, that sort of thing, um, you know, we we would have been able to do it. But given the parameters that we were given, which I think were very fair, you know, um, we didn't really have pre-buff time, but at the same time, she didn't have a lot of extra minions, which I think she might have had, uh, you know, in, in a lot of games. She wouldn't just face you alone. Um, she didn't she didn't drink her potion of invulnerability right yeah exactly exactly so my question is what are some things for me one is flying because i do think flying not only would allow us to get to her better but also allow us to spread out on a 3d plane so those cone breath weapons all of a sudden are less effective if there are people flying above her and below her and to the sides and that sort of thing you know i think that would have been a a huge way for us not to all suddenly take the 98 fire damage from her breath weapon one one thing like oh yeah if we if we had really thought about this and gone in like ready to fly we might have stood a chance in being able to at least not all be locked down by her breath weapons what about you do you guys have anything that you thought of like ah man if if we could have done this or if we could have pulled this off uh, maybe that would have changed things joe let's start with you having a turn <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much uh i you know that it right right down to to maybe maybe the day before when i was looking at items because uh, we were we were somewhat limited in our item selection although looking at the dmg now uh which wasn't out when we or was just barely out when we ran this uh we had been limited to one uncommon one uh rare and one very rare item uh, and then no legendaries or anything higher than that. Um, and in trying to decide, I was like, oh, there's this uncommon uh, weapon I could take that will uh, give me advantage on initiative checks and uh, prevent uh, me and anybody in my radius, uh, in my aura from being surprised. And I was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, she's not going to surprise us. We know what we're going into. I'll take something, you know, and I, I reworked it. So I took a different uncommon item. Um and I, I think if I had made that choice, I might have had the chance of having a turn because I might have had a slightly better second initiative roll if I had had advantage on that. But uh, I don't know. It's it's tough to it's tough to say. I I think uh, if legendary actions were run like reactions, in that you have to have a turn to get them, then she wouldn't have gotten her two breaths at us before her turn happened, uh, and then that might have changed things a little. Uh, but again she's a god of dragons and i can't nothing that mike did was something i could honestly say yeah you know a god of dragons shouldn't be able to do that because she ought to she ought to be able to destroy you (laughs) topher what about you when you replay it in your head and you're not able to sleep at night because you're wondering what could have gone differently (laughs) what are you wondering (laughs) Uh, i think that um 
I should have cast Swift Quiver right out of the gate. Uh, that was a player mistake. I thought that was an action and not a bonus action, and I should have done that. That would have given me right out of the gate four attacks, all with advantage, all with three plus three d six um, damage to them. I uh, right out of the gate, I think I, we uh, we would have made a little bit of more of a mark on them, mm-hmm. on her. Don't get me wrong. Let me go back to short of adding ten more PCs. <laughs> yes. I don't think we could have killed her. I'm going to be very clear. I'm going to be very clear here. Um, I also just realized that I didn't add my level 20 foe feat, which mm. gave me my wisdom modifier to damage and or attacks. That, oops, my bad. Um, <laughs> again, short of 10 more players. I don't know what difference that really would have made. I got four attacks off total because mm-hmm. the rest of the time I was either dying, dead, or trying to keep Joe from dying. Sorry, Joe. I, I failed. I failed you there, buddy. And then rushing over and trying to save James, which again, sorry, buddy, that didn't work out well either there um, on that end. But I think, I think I don't know what I would have done differently. I, I had a hell of a good time playing this character. I'm going to be very clear. For someone who doesn't play this kind of character, I had a ton of fun being able to say, I get to attack four times and do all this cool stuff. That was fun. But I don't know what else I would do differently. Well, and I think one thing that you observed is the same thing that I observed, that as soon as somebody went down, unless they got a super big heal or were, you know, had the effect of true resurrection in the middle of the battle, they w- immediately went back down. So if you raise somebody like, ah, yeah, we healed them for 30, uh, it <laughs> did not matter because that breath weapon was coming back around. <laughs> yeah, and even soon, if you saved, yeah. it was going to be, you know, uh, uh, half damage, um, which would knock you out again and you would be down on the floor dying uh chris what about you is there anything you think we could have done differently um most of what i think about uh what we could have done differently comes down to knowing the characters i mean so that seems to be a separate topic but i mean it's like oh if i had remembered this i should have done this um as far as like the environment goes i thought that was that contributed to it it was you know if we if we had been able to get her away from that room or pull her down or somehow that then, you know, that's something that could have influenced it. But most of the things that I think we should have done differently are character decisions. Oh, one thing in combat healing is worthless. Just like you said. (laughs) Well, and I, yeah, I think maybe if when I had had my turn, which again, I should not have had anyway, I should have used mass heal, right? I shouldn't have gone for, for the drinking of the potion of invulnerability. I should have just healed everybody back to full, and then we would have been on equal ground with Tiamat. Uh, but I shouldn't have been able to heal you at all anyway, so I don't feel too <laughs> bad about that. Playing a paladin with an aura 30, a lot of us focused on getting within my aura because I was giving a plus 6 to everybody's saves and also uh, immunity to uh, to any fear effects. And I think the fact that everybody made sure to stay in my aura set us up for the breath weapons. And, <laughs> yeah. and if people had gotten farther away from the aura then you wouldn't have needed to make the saves because you wouldn't have been in the breath weapon you know and so i think that was another tactical thing that that might have i you know screwed us over i think i was i was kind of a dick about that too i i actually built the room exactly so that she could breathe on almost all of it almost all the time like you'd actually have to somehow have each person on one corner of her for her not to be able to hit people so right. and flying she can hit everybody so it kind of didn't matter sure but also i think you know tiamat would build her room that way right yeah if, well if you were right. tiamat, that's how you would build your throne room liz what about you is there anything are you lying awake at night 
thinking what could be done differently? Am I the only one? No, I mean, honestly, I, I thought about it for a long time, and there are little things I could have done that could have improved things, but we still would have died. Um, it's, I just, I can't think of a way where without, as everyone has said, adding more people that we could have really stood a chance against her, especially since Mike was forgetting to do the regeneration. <laughs> so right. honestly, we were more screwed than we actually were. Um, obviously I should have remembered that dragons could fly. Um, I probably should have just left your character to die, James, um, and yeah. done a little bit more bashing, but you know, another 50 or more points of damage on her wouldn't have made a difference. Uh, but I, I absolutely loved playing Umak. It was a really fun character. I'm playing her actually in a game um, next week. Uh, so it's, it's <laughs> she was really fun. Oh, cool. Cool. You'll have to let us know how uh, she goes. Is it, is it prequel Umak? Is she not quite level? Yeah, 20? no, she's, I think eighth level is the level that the group is at right now. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Some, some thoughts about um, kind of what Tiamat might have done differently. Mm. Um, so I actually, there were, there were a couple of mistakes that I made that, that I think had a pretty big, you know, might have, might have slowed the battle down. She, she might have done a little bit better. Um, and then there's a couple of things that I think if you guys had done differently would have, would have put her far more on the defensive. But one of them is like I blew a, I blew a divine word really early not realizing that that uh you know Joe's character had like a, a charisma save of 92 or something <laughs> and you know that that made it big cuz my you know, I was following Joe's instructions to kill him first and I thought okay I'll just get him to zero and I hit him with divine word and that'll be that but not if he saves and then that's a that's the divine word dropped and he was the only one that was down and that would have given her a full turn with claws and and you know Oh, claws yeah. and a tail slap and that would have made a big difference the yeah. other one is not recognizing yeah so the adamantine armor it prevents, prevents critical hits yeah which doesn't yeah. matter at all except for death saves right <laughs> right like generally you don't care that like if you get crit you get crit but she's already dropping everybody like crazy anyway so it doesn't matter if you get crit on but it does save you when you're you know when you're doing death saves so she would have wiped people out so much faster if they weren't wearing that armor and the other one, not not realizing what that did, meant that I didn't manage, like, you, you know, I really got to do, like, a lot of math to figure <laughs> out how best to kill people when they're down. <laughs> because that's actually far harder than dropping them to zero. <laughs> um, um, and there were a couple of times where, like, he would, you know, he poked or she poked a, you know, poked someone who was down when she could have just breathed on them and everybody else <laughs> done the exact same thing, only hitting more than one person. So, so saving the divine words for later and, and managing the death saves uh, was probably the only two things I'd have done differently. So I don't know about you guys, but it dawned on me later when I was watching it the third or fourth or fifth time <laughs> that um, part of the reason I ran to go to try to bring J uh, Joe up and try to beat James up is I thought of this as, oh, we're an adventuring party. We're level 20. We must have been adventuring together for a long time. My <laughs> character would have wanted to save his fellow adventurers in reality i should have said f y'all and just <laughs> unloaded my bow into her because i think liz you said earlier that if we hadn't have healed him we just would have let james and joe die yeah mm -hmm. you and i could have done more damage and, and oh, chris yeah. could have done more damage and i think because mike luckily forgot the whole regen thing we might have been able to bring her down between the three of us i think that if i had gotten all four of my attacks off and you know hit with 
two of them, three of them, that's some serious damage. And then, you know, Liz, your text. And then, you know, Chris, I think we could have done it. Obviously, we we would have then realized, wow, that really wouldn't have happened because of the regen. But yeah, that's the reason I went to go save. I went to go heal them is because I was thinking of this as, well, this is my adventuring party. These are my adventuring comrades. I want to go save them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little bit more uh, selfish and just wanted to get James up so I could get some healing. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, on the assumption you're not going to immediately drop again, which is what happened in this fight, right. you're, you're even tactically, it's a better choice to get someone back up than it is to try to do your own attack because you're increasing your overall action economy. The more of you are on the board, that doesn't matter if you're going to get breathed on and dropped you know, on the very next half turn. What were some big takeaways that you guys had from the battle? Some big observations other than, whoa, Tiamat is awesome, which we've certainly established. Was there anything about 5th edition or the rule set or a specific class that you noticed and you were like, that's awesome, or that, I don't know that that's quite uh, a a good thing to do. You know, um, I know when we did the Tarask takedown, we talked quite a bit about the druid's wild shape form being overpowered. Were there any key observations like that? I know for me, one thing I was sad about, Joe, was that I didn't get to see a lot of the paladin stuff in action, so we'll have to do this again, and you'll have to play a paladin again so we can see that. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that the certainly watching the half-orc barbarian critical and then the half-orc barbarian refuse to die was yeah, pretty awesome. That was, yeah. that was astonishing. Uh, watching the monk go into ghost mode uh, and then stand toe-to-toe with Tiamat for a few rounds was pretty cool to watch. Um, I got a couple in there. Yeah, yeah. Quivering palm, very cool. Uh, I think the... Uh, you know, the cleric's divine inter- intervention ability uh, certainly was a was a cool ability to uh, be able to bring Topher back from the dead with nothing but a, a quick ask to the gods. You know, that, <laughs> that was a lot of fun, too. Um, but were there other things? Tiamat's divine word, I think, was another thing that it was like, oh, that is that is an epic <laughs> ability. And it was cool to see in action. Um, so, Liz, what do you think? Well, I'm currently playing a very, very high-level game in another system similar to this one. And um, I I noticed that even though we didn't know our characters that well, the turns were going pretty darn fast for being 20th level. And that that stood out to me because in my other game, uh, it's, you know, many minutes for each each character. And those are characters that we've leveled up from, from the very beginning. Can you so say I was, what system? That would be Pathfinder. Okay. Um, yeah. Yay, and, yep. <laughs> That's not different in 4E either. That's yeah. Right. right. Oh my God. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I thought it was it was pretty, pretty cool that we were able to keep the pace uh, moving as quickly as we were given, you know, we're 20th level, right? We have all of these abilities and it, it still moved really fast. That That was a big win for me. Joe, did you have any major observations? Well, uh, specifically about your character, about uh, the um, the cleric, uh, because in uh, the previous edition, in fourth edition, I played a very Healy McKeelerson kind of cleric that had uh, <laughs> gone into the uh, I think Miracle Worker was the was the level eleven class uh, that there was a lot of if you want to focus on being a healer. If anyone dies around you as a reaction, you can automatically cast a healing spell on them, and there was a lot more sort of. Uh, 4E had a lot of self-healing and other healing options in general, but I felt like 
you looked like a cleric that I thought was pretty well primed to heal folks in most situations. And even then, there was no way you could keep your brother up. You yeah. know, there was there was no and and that was an interesting, like there wasn't even a, a little thing you could try to do off turn or anything else. It, it, it's just uh, a, a function of fifth edition, I think, that you do stuff on your turn and very little off turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's an interesting an interesting sort of desi- uh, design choice. And I'm not going to say it's better or worse. You know, I, I have my things about fourth edition that I love, and things about fourth edition that I would have done differently as well. But but uh, it was interesting to see that change because I know that I played a very healing focused cleric in the previous system, and it, it looked like it ran very differently in this system. One interesting thing about that. Uh, so a with the, the legendary actions makes that feel a lot different. Right, like without legendary actions, you're going to see people have a lot more options to to cast turn, you know, cast heals as bonus actions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the other one is I think the the speed that Liz was talking about is based on the idea that people don't have a lot of stuff they can do off their turn. Exactly. Topher, what observations did you have about five E during the fight? I think I, I never played four E at high level. I DM'd it at top level, mm-hmm. and I. And I didn't play three or three five, and I've never played Pathfinder, so I'm. It reminded me a lot of Second Edition, at least my childhood memories of Second Edition and of uh, First Edition. Is that I felt epic. I really did. I felt like I was playing an epic character. Like I was a, I was a badass, for lack of better terms. I could do all these cool things. Now I didn't get to do those things. Let's be right about that. But <laughs> I, I felt but hypothetically. Like, yeah, exactly. Hypothetically, I felt like my character was a hero. And it's been a while since I played D&D and felt that. And I think this edition allows you to feel like a hero when you do things, whether it's being able to come in and do a mass heal or come in and, you know, I'm going to wild shape into a bear and take, uh, you know, be the damage soaker up or while the rest of the party regroups and comes back in. Or I can get four attacks off and, you know, hopefully, you know, knock down the bad guy. Uh, I think this decision allows that. And I like that a lot. I really like that ability. I kind of want to. I kind of want to counter that because, as as a hero, I feel like I ought to be able to make a single mistake and not be dead. Uh, and 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 in this in this particular fight, one bad roll, like you know, in in if you watch a movie or you read a book, the the hero always stumbles a little bit in the beginning of the fight, and the bad guy looks like he's got the upper hand, and then the hero you know regroups. And and in this, uh, my first misstep, oh, you're dead. Yeah. And and that, yeah, but that, I think that was the bad guy we were fighting, Joe. I think that if we would have Made, if you'd have made that misstep against the Trask, I don't know. I think I, I, that was this bad guy. That's in, my opinion. In, in looking at D and D encounters and D and D expeditions and things, though, I I have seen other players go down just as quickly uh, for similar missteps, and and I I don't know that this edition necessarily makes you more of a hero than any other edition. I I think there's there's the opportunity to have a character that might look like a hero on paper, and then you get in there and you're still down and around. Yeah. I don't. I don't think it necessarily automatically makes you more heroic than, say, fourth edition, which I felt really heroic in, just because right. as the first character I played was a wizard who had more than a d4 hit points to start with. I was like, "Oh my gosh, look at this!" But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that um, certainly one aspect of fourth edition that they haven't, I don't, I haven't seen in in fifth is there's a lot more PC empowerment in mm-hmm. in fourth. Uh, I think it came. You know, it came with baggage, but uh, certainly I know I know people. Uh, I'm married to people who <laughs> um, definitely feel that fourth edition is a more heroic game than fifth edition is. Uh, well, like I said, I didn't, that. I 
didn't play fourth division high level. I only DM. So maybe that's my oh, takeaway yes. is the fact that having not played a high level fourth edition sure. game. I, I can see that there's a lot less just fantasticalness that you can choose to do, you know, in this edition at, on your turn. You know, you've got you've got a, a few really cool abilities, but, you know, you're not do the same kind of things you would do as a 30th level fourth edition character. I love 4A. It was my favorite edition until fourth came out. Um, but uh, I have to say, because of speed of combat, I would much, much, much rather play a 5e epic battle in most cases um you know looking mm. at that 4e tima she looks awesome and i would lose control of her in about five seconds because i won't be able to keep track of everything <laughs> um and and it would go crazy uh so chris i don't know what do you think any big takeaways uh my big takeaway from the uh from the fight we had is that the monk is awesome <laughs> it really <laughs> is but the monk was really good at avoiding damage but not so great at delivering it um, that was one of the things I noticed about it. Yeah, I mean, it it took two rounds to deliver the same kind of damage that the barbarian did with the one strike, but that was a, that was a crit. Well, and and you're, you know, quivering palm isn't intended to be a damage thing. It's intended to kill things, right? It's supposed it's to dam- be a show the damage, so you don't feel screwed, right? But Tiamat could not fail that, other right. than a, rolling yeah. a one. Right. Um, another thing with for the, about the monk was having. Your proficiency bonus on all of your saving throws is awesome. <laughs> and the the other thing I got I, I got out of preparing for this fight is that the wizard spell list is really not that good. Because mm-hmm. I was looking for because uh, I knowing that Tiamat was immune, my first choice for this game was was a wizard. And I went looking f- and I was thinking, okay, I'll be a buffing wizard and I'll be the kind of wizard that makes the rest of the party really freaking awesome. And I could not make a spell right. list yeah. that would do that. So I have I have four observations, big observations. Um, one of them is that resistance resistance is really nasty. Um, when I was studying a lot of the math for fourth edition, one of the things I noticed was how certain abilities uh, grew linearly, and while other abilities like resistance and or the things similar to resistance uh, grew triangularly instead. They they got they got significantly better. They, they didn't they didn't grow at a linear scale and uh resistance is kind of like that resistance is one of those things where once you've got it it continues to because it's a percentage and not a fixed amount um it, it continually goes up like you know the more you get breathed on the more you're going to resist so the more overall beneficial it is and uh it didn't have a big effect but i i'm betting that if joe's character had kicked in we definitely would have seen resistance have a much bigger effect. And it, it probably more than everything else, that was the thing I was worried about the most is that we would see a lot of times where she would breathe for 85 or 90 points and it would be, it would be reduced to like 15 or 20 and everybody would laugh at her. The other one is that, and this, I have kind of two, I guess two points. One is, and I noticed this in the other big epic thing that we did, uh, big monsters don't get pinned down. And that, that makes me very, very happy because <laughs> You know, just like being laughed at. The other, the other thing that I constantly saw with Fourth Edition, um, and haven't seen yet in this, is monsters that can't big monsters, big solo type monsters that can't do anything. Like all their actions are removed, or they're stuck. You know, they're stuck prone and they can't ever get back up, or whatever. You know, problems where they're just whatever cool thing they could do 
uh, is, is that they can't do because they got hit by something. Mm -hmm. And there are probably some edge cases in fifth edition where I think that still will take place. I was talking to a guy on Twitter who said he had a big, like uh, minotaur boss and people figured out that as long as the fighter just kept grappling the guy, everybody would have advantage on him and he would have disadvantage on everything else. And they, you know, and they, they did it to two bosses in a row, like two big named guys, the, the fighters just like, okay, I'm pinning them down, you know, and there's a thousand different things you, you can do to get away from that. But I was glad to see that in this battle with five 20th level PCs, uh, Tiamat was mobile. She was able to take all her actions other than reactions. Yeah, you know? I did take away reactions, but that doesn't take away legendary actions, which is where the real money was. Yeah. Right. Her legendary actions are the real, right. Exactly. Um, the other one is instead of control, instead of action control, like removing her actions or removing her ability to do things, um, the new kind of control is advantage and disadvantage. And it's all over the place. And when you see it at 20th, you know, my, my general feeling was she's always going to have disadvantage on every attack and she's, everybody's always going to have advantage to hit her, you know, and that expectation was pretty much true. It just doesn't matter when she's rolling in plus 19. Mm -hmm. Um, and I right. think if her, if her attack bonuses and her saving throws had been lower, significantly lower, I think she'd had a much harder time because she's going to miss a lot more often because of being at disadvantage. So instead of losing actions, she was losing accuracy because of advantage and disadvantage, which doesn't matter that the math on that goes weird when you're talking about ones and twenties being the primary motivator. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, and and so my third my third thing is you know I can't imagine what that battle would be like if she had a twentieth level wizard as an advisor. <laughs> Liz, you have one more takeaway for us. I do, and it's mainly just about the barbarian class, right? So I was talking with one of my friends who was actually watching our um, our fight as as it was going live, and he he messaged me on on Google hang, uh, Hangouts and said, you know, I'm surprised you didn't do the path of the uh i think it's the path of the berserker which mm -hmm. is the path for the barbarian because it's it's much more classic right um it's it's not quite as um different as the totem warrior uh path however the totem warrior is what gave me all of the resistance to damage and also the um ability of all when raging creatures have disadvantage on attack rolls against another all other characters except you. And those were two huge, yeah. huge mm -hmm. things for me in the battle. So I I have to say, if you're building a barbarian, don't discount the totem warrior path. It's pretty it's pretty epic. I was happy I ended up going with it. Looking through the DMG and looking at her stats and everything, there's a monster statistics by challenge rating uh, on page yeah. 274 of the DMG. And that says that a challenge 30 level critter Ought to be swinging at plus 14 to hit and uh, with a 23 save on uh, the DC. And then after that, like if you look through the steps of creating, it's like look at the chart and then adjust statistics however you feel like. So I feel like that chart's less useful, but it was interesting to see Tiamat as a level 30 with a plus 19 and a 20, what was it, 27 or 26 yeah, DC, depending on DC 27, right. what she was doing. Um, it was interesting to see that and, and to see, you know, well, we want to make her a really scary god, so let's up this by by a, a bigger factor. But as as a DM trying to put together my own monsters now, it's interesting to see, okay, how much should I adjust it? How much up should I push it? Uh, and that was sort of a... 
different to look at there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wonder if level thirty is just like, yeah, it's this, and and then everything beyond is challenge rating thirty two. You know, I, I wonder <laughs> oh, right. if that's sort of the opinion they've taken on at the moment that like everything's thirty because we don't want to have to keep counting. You, if you look at that chart and go through the monster manual, there's almost no comparison. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no comparator between right. the charts. So they, they, I, and and I actually think that they don't they don't follow the rules very much for the monster manual for any kind of normalized math. And I'm kind of glad they don't because it, it gives us lots of really interesting spikes. And I think Tiamat's an example of a really interesting spike okay. where, you know, like the CR doesn't really come into play, particularly when you talk about CR 30, cause there's no, there's not even a rough equivalent for a PC. Um, you know, there should be nothing that can face her and, and survive. There was one thing I forgot to mention about resistance, which is of all of the things like I didn't need to, but you know, the, the one, when I was talking about like things that I was going to put in place if, if it went bad. And I think I even talked to you guys about a rematch if she should die. And one of the things that I would definitely add uh, because of the heavy reliance on resistance and because of what that could mean for her attacks is some way for her to penetrate resistance Mm -hmm. either through obelisks in the room that, you know, that you know empower her breath weapons to penetrate or just giving it to her you know her she's a god when she breathes it doesn't matter if you have fire resistance you don't really need that and that does negate another you know another another aspect of pcs that she negates which is already on top of a big stack of things that she negates oh yeah um but I could still see that. I think if Joe had survived and everybody had resistance, I think it had gone very differently. And and Liz's character is a good example of how resistance can make survivability a, a big, you know, much bigger factor. Well, and that brings me to uh, a final question here. And Mike, my question for you is actually going to be different than my question for the players. So let me ask you this, Mike. If you were going to run Tiamat, not as a stress test for 5th edition combat, but now after having played her at least once, uh, if not more than that, <laughs> how would you play her in, say, an adventure path? I don't know that I would run her with the same stats that she's got on the sheet. Mm-hmm. And I would probably try to run her with many more layers of uh, you know, many more layers of, of things to do. And, you know, I'm reading, I've only kind of skim read the, the final battle in Rise. And uh, I think kind of the way they do it there, and I think the way that we talked about it when we reviewed Rise is a, is a better approach uh, than the way, than just running a raw. Um, but I think kind of having, you know, I, I always like the idea of there's other things going on that you have to handle before you can even face her. You know, there are things like, can you break through, particularly if you've got a group where they have arcane casters, you don't want the arcane caster sitting reading a spell book, you know, while everyone else is actually up there trying to fight her. So, you know, are there ways that, I'm, that I'm just like I would have her be able to resist or penetrate resistance, is there a way for mages to penetrate her resistance and actually start landing spells on her? Um, you know, I would probably have more stuff like that. I'd, I'd have waves, you know, I think that she would never be alone. And the idea that you'd ever face her by yourself, you know, you definitely have to take out her, her guards before you get to her. So I, I, yeah, I think, you know, if you, if you think about like Quinn Murphy's world or, uh, uh, I forget what he called them world breakers. Yeah. World breakers, you know, this idea of like three stage monsters, you know, kind of like boss fights in video games and things like that, but, but not as boring. But having like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, having like stages of battles where, you know, phase one, you have to do something phase two, you have to do something phase three. And that way there's more challenges that you have to face, but they're doable. 
you, you kind of have to use uh, every aspect of your character. All characters have something that they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd probably run it more like that. Now that said, I, I, I actually, this is, I've now run Tiamat twice more since then. Uh, <laughs> once with my group last Wednesday and once with a group earlier today. The same uh, Tiamat? The same Tiamat, using the exact same stat block, only this time it wasn't against level 20s, it was against level 5s. <laughs> and I can tell <laughs> you mean? that it, 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 it didn't go, uh, it went about as you would expect. <laughs> um wow. yeah it was a it was a dream sequence like they were they were on the cart they were on their journey and they had a vision of the clouds breaking and tiamat landing and they got <laughs> to see the five this is more spoilers they got to uh-huh. see the five worm speakers uh face to face so they actually now know who they are mm-hmm. and then tiamat wow. breathed on them and wiped both parties at a single breath and uh let me ask you then the players if you guys had known your characters better, if you had actually spent levels 1 through 20 with them, what would you have done differently? Uh, and do you think that that knowledge, plus maybe changing a few of the other things that we've talked about changing, would have helped us and we would have stood a better chance against Tiamat? Do you think we could have won, uh, given everything else that happened? Let's start with you, Topher. No. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, I mean, even if Mike hadn't, even with Mike not doing the re- regen, I think she's still, we've said it again, and I'll say it again, she's built to not lose. And, you know, I think that you know, if I would have played, you know, Hank from the beginning, uh, maybe I would have known him a little better. Maybe I would have, you know, yeah, I made some mistakes, which I said, but maybe I would have known those spells better, known which my buffs were a little better, and I think I would have done more damage and gotten more shots off. But I still don't think we could have brought her down. I, I don't. Chris Dudley, what do you think? Um, I did not realize that I had a couple of abilities early on. Like when she flew up, I could have run up the wall and just smacked her. So, I mean, that's one thing I, I wish I had, could have, you know, noticed in, in the beginning. Um, also, I would have had a much longer list of maneuver names. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if I had played uh, Shikayo uh, through 20 levels, I would have had a more interesting secret. Liz Tice, what do you think? If you had known Umak a little differently and if, if we had uh, changed a few of the things she had been able to fly from the beginning, do you think that the fight could have gone another way? Honestly, no. <laughs> I hate to be Debbie Downer here, but honestly, I, I feel like, one, I, I knew her pretty well just because there weren't a ton of abilities that I needed to grasp, right? It was pretty, pretty e- I guess, easy uh, for a 20th level character to, to just sort of look at my character and remember all of the, all of the abilities that were going to be relevant to the battle. For me... No, if I if even if I had spent all of her twenty levels getting to know Umak a little bit better, I I mean I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the battle any. Gotcha, nice. Well, it's uh, I'm hearing some consistency across the board. Uh, Joe Lestowski, what do you think? I think if we had actually played with these characters from levels one to twenty, I feel like we would have individually quested for legendary items at some point and i think that would have had a big uh change in the way things went because you know that's a fair point 
together we all went to get that one super holy Avenger sword that gives all these crazy bonuses to the paladin. And together we would have all gone to get this super legendary barbarian, you know, skin of whatever that gives you healing or you know something like i feel like some of the other items i think might have been uh available to us if we had been questing for 20 levels uh and and working together because we would have heard about them and gone looking for them um i also think i might have gone the uh the, the i went the path of the ancients i think uh paladin wise and this is of course assuming i would have had a turn i would have gone the one that uh at level 20 lets you turn into an angel and gives you a fly speed because that would have also you know been handy, but yeah, definitely. I, I I think uh when a when a group games together, the DM is more likely to give them the option to go off looking for for some of the bigger items than if you're just starting at twentieth level and the DM's like, well, some of those items are crazy. I don't want to give you that option. So here, just take this set and go. And and I think that uh, would have been a different experience. Sure. And Mike, I have to say, was actually nicer than what the DMG suggests. So, uh, you know, he let us dip into the very rare category, which is not in the DMG. One thing I think about the battle, too, is I wonder if had we known our characters better uh, and had we had the time, I would have rather undergone a few battles and wasted a few resources and then had a chance to buff um, you know, uh, then, then go in there completely blind. Uh, but I think we can always, uh, coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, you know, what if, uh, this thing to death, right. uh, certainly <laughs> any way you split it, Tiamat is going to be a challenge. And I think that is a very good thing for fifth edition D and D. Um, but I think that brings us to the end of this podcast. Where can people find you, Joe Lestowski? Uh, I write pretty regularly at actsofgeek.com. Uh, and if you're in Western Massachusetts, swing by Modern Myths uh, Comics and Games in Northampton, Massachusetts on Mondays or Wednesdays to play D&D with me. Excellent. Topher Cohen, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on the Twitters at TopherATL, also on Google+, Plus, also at TopherATL. And if you are in the Atlanta area... Um, come see me in Smyrna, Georgia at Titans Games and Comics where I um, help organize the uh, uh, organized play for D&D. Excellent. Christopher Dudley, where can people find you? You can find me on RuleZeroPodcast.com or you can Twitter me at, at RuleZeroPodcast or you can like the Rule Zeros on the uh, Facebooks or you can find us on G+, or you can email us at rule zero podcast at gmail.com and i think that's all the places i am google me i'm out there (laughs) (laughs) uh liz tice where can people find you you can also find me on twitter at liz tice spelled liz the is uh i am attempting to be on there more often yay (laughs) and mike shea where can people find you slyflourish.com and twitter.com slash slyflourish alright and people if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the round table reach out to me on twitter at James Intracasso that's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website thetomeshow.com and a quick shameless plug for me check out my blog which is all about exploration age it's the 5th edition world that I am building it's at worldbuilderblog.me Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Joe, Topher, Chris, Liz, and Mike. Our theme music, which you are listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. 
Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.